I cleaned a rifle today. It's my uh, grandpa's old bolt action 22. Looking forward to going in and shooting it. It's like a old school, old west gun. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. The best part of doing a podcast is learning the field and bringing it back to y'all. I'm Cowboy Doug, and this is Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. And this is a combo holiday and road trip special. A regular format should begin next week, but today we're going to talk about the indigenous people of America, the natural wonders of this country, the sovereignty of nations, and what driving 2,500 miles through tribal territory feels like. Oh, and bears. Yeah, I saw bears. I saw some grizzly bears for the first time in my life. It, it made me very excited, and I'm like a little kid about it. So, But in all honesty, that's really all the m- mention of bears, I think, that's in the entire script. So let's get into it. Every six months or so, usually in the spring or fall, I get real bad wanderlust, although I t- prefer the term itchy feet. I reckon it's a genetic... I reckon it's a generational thing, an order encoded in my DNA, explicitly telling me to migrate or die. I haven't been on the road since March of this year, and I was about due. These road trips help my sanity. There's nothing like an open road, an instrumental piece on the radio, and me and my thoughts. It's not therapy, but it does allow me to do a lot of therapeutic thinking things, such as work through complex emotions and process traumas. More importantly, it helps me reconcile these things with my regular life. So I hit the road. My route took me west through Kansas and then north through the Nebraska Sand Hills, the Oglala National Grassland, and the sacred Pahasapa, or Black Hills, of South Dakota. From the hills, I went west from there, skirting the border with Montana to the Bighorn Mountains. I spent a few nights among the peaks of those gorgeous mountains before heading west in the Bighorn Basin, to the Crow Mountain Range, Abrasoka, Abrashaka, Abrasaka. I'm not sure. Despite traveling through there and seeing it spelled, I've never heard anybody tell me how that range is pronounced. So if somebody knows, please tell me. But I went down that range. I followed the Shoshone River and then down into Yellowstone National Park. I spent a day in Yellowstone before heading through the basin southeast and stopping at the Medicine Bow National Forest. I spent my last night camping on Frenchman Creek near Palisade in southwest Nebraska before heading to my mom's house back in the eastern part of the state. In that trip, I traveled through or temporarily resided in the historical tribal lands of the Comanche, Cheyenne, Arakara, Arapaho, Kiowa, Lakota, Crow, among others. From nps.gov regarding Yellowstone. Tribal oral histories indicate more extensive use during the Little Ice Age. Kiowa stories place their ancestors here from around 1400 to 1700 BE, BC. Ancestors to the contemporary Blackfeet, Cayuse, Coridelen, Nez Pierce, Shoshone, among others, continue to travel the park on the already established trails. They visited geysers, conducted ceremonies, hunted, gathered plants and minerals, and engaged in trade. The Shoshone report family groups came to Yellowstone to gather obsidian, which they used to field dress bison. Some tribes used the fishing bridge area as a rendezvous site. The Crow occupied the area generally east of the park, and the Umatea occupied the area to the north. The Shoshone, Bannock, and other tribes of the plateaus to the west traversed the park annually to hunt on the plains to the east. 
other Blackfeet group hunted in open areas wide and south of Yellowstone. West and south of Yellowstone. Basically, I knew I was traveling on sovereign land, despite what the government of the United States says. Even those lands allegedly ceded by the treaties to the United States government was done so under duress and extreme fraud. Hell, most of these lands were never actually given over by the tribes that owned them. Rather, they were conquered by genocide. Take, for example, the Paha Sapa. I may be pronouncing that. I may be pronouncing a lot of native words wrong, and if I am, please, like, get in my DMs and tell me, because I want to know the proper pronunciation, but I didn't have a chance today to go through pronunciation, guys. Uh, so, yes, definitely call me out on that. Anyway, the Black Hills of South Dakota are my favorite place in North America. While I do not claim to have any connection spiritual, spiritually with them, I can feel the power that those pine-laden mountains emanate. And if I, a white guy, can feel it, I can totally understand why the natives of the area felt it even more. The Black Hills were home to a great number of tribes, but eventually became the Great Sioux Nation's property. The name Pahasapa means hills that are black in Siouan, called so due to the pines growing densely on the slopes. And you easily see this when you approach them, an island of ridges, peaks, and trees in the windswept sea of prairie. These hills were a hunting ground, a source for lodge and teepee poles, and winter shelter from the hard seasons on the plains. In 1868, the Treaty of Fort Laramie created the Great Sioux Reservation from mid-Nebraska to west of the Black Hills. The reservation displaced other tribes who were at war with the Sioux, but America doesn't have a history of non-intervention. I mean, Uncle Sam always knows best. Long story short, a bastard named Custard found gold in the Black Hills in 1874. The news trickled back east, and before long, a flow of white prospectors came into the hills, violating the treaty that, at that point, wasn't even 10 years old. For further information about the Black Hills gold rush, I recommend the excellent documentary, Deadwood. <laughs> I know it's not a documentary. <laughs> Good show, though. The settlers quickly went to work pushing the natives out of their sacred hills in the name of a shiny rock. This violation of the treaty prompted the Great Sioux War of 1876, which, while you may not recognize that term, I'm sure you know these people and places. Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, Little Wolf, General Crook, Little Bighorn, and Wounded Knee. This war contained Custer's Last Stand, which was reality Custer's Folly and the genocidal massacre at Wounded Knee. Side note, before we get back into the history, I've never been to Wounded Knee. Someday I plan to go. I've been to the Sand Creek Massacre site in eastern Colorado, where Colonel John Shivington slaughtered a bunch of peaceful Arapaho and Cheyenne. The energy there upon the gentle plains is terrifying. Even hundreds of years later, the land remembers and I firmly believe it will never forget the blood it soaked up from the innocent women, children, and the elderly. This is our history. This is the country we purport to be a beacon of liberty and freedom. Back to the hills. We fully colonized them in 1876, and South Dakota gained statehood in 1889. Now the federal government ceased pretending that the natives owned any of the hills, and usually that's where this type of story ends. The government makes a uh, treaty, he violates it, then exterminates anyone who insists the promises be upheld. That's how this usually plays out. 
But the story of the hill doesn't stop there. From History.com by Jody Rave. This history includes how, in 1924, South Dakota state historian Doanne Robinson asked sculptor John Gutzon de la Motha Borglum to carve a monument in the Black Hills. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I don't give a shit. Fuck that, dude. Borglum chose to carve George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln into Rushmore Peak. The National Park Service Mount Rushmore website cites Borglum's reason for choosing the men, stating they represented the most important events in the history of the United States. What events were they referring to? Yes, each of these presidents had impact upon the United States, and some of it was even good. Washington was supposedly the father of this country. Lincoln freed the slaves. Roosevelt busted up the banks and founded the national park system. Jefferson had the Louisiana Purchase. But from a native perspective, Washington was called the town destroyer due to his war with the Iroquois tribe. Lincoln presided over the last mass execution in American history. From the nation.com. December 26, 1862, 38 Dakota Indians were hanged in Mankato, Minnesota in the largest mass execution in U.S. history on orders of President Abraham Lincoln. Their crime? Killing 490 white settlers, including women and children, in the Santee Sioux Uprising the previous August. Thomas Jefferson was a notorious colonizer who thought little and less of Native people in his new purchase. And Roosevelt famously said during an 1886 speech in New York, I don't go so far as to think the only good Indians are the dead Indians, but I believe nine out of every ten are. And I shouldn't like to inquire too closely in the case of the tenth. Yeah, he, he was a bastard. To the natives, these people represent death, disease, foul dealings, dishonesty, broken treaties, and genocide. But America doesn't care, and now instead of the beautiful six grandfathers on the peak, we have four bastards. It was a simple way to assure dominance over a sovereign nation. But wait, you might ask, didn't the Sioux ever give up the hills? Nope. In 1980, the Supreme Court ruled that the seizure of Lakota lands in the Black Hills was illegal and ordered the government to pay restitution in the amount of $105 million dollars. Including interest today, that award is over $1 billion. The Sioux still haven't claimed the reward because they see it as selling the rights to the hills. Given that it's sacred land, which was granted in perpetuity thanks to the Treaty of Fort Laramie, they won't ever take this money. It's sacred land. Sacred means it's not worth every penny in the world. This is the history of the United States. A history of genocide, of murder, of all sorts of horrible stuff. And we're going to get into even more of that. But first, let's take a break. When we get back, we'll talk about why Columbus was a bastard as well, and how he set this all in motion. This is Red Leg Revolution. I'm C-Dubs, and we'll be right back. Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. 
Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The Mighty Skunk Ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you. The Skunk Ape Liberation Union. Hey, capitalism sucks, but Revolution Records, Kansas City's old school record and bookstore, is part of my community. When I'm in Kansas City and need a book or a copy of a local band's album, I go to Revolution Records. Revolution has a great selection of posters, books, records, tapes, and zines. Plus, they repair music and sound gear. That's pretty dope. Most importantly, Revolution Records is part of the community beyond being a small business. The staff does a great job maintaining an inclusive, accepting, and respectful atmosphere, and they also are active in making Kansas City a better place. Community fundraisers, workshops, events, and meetings all have taken place at Revolution Records, and that's just the stuff I was involved in. So the next time you need a new record to spin or your speaker breaks, go check out Revolution Records, located 1830 Locust Street, Kansas City, Missouri, or at Revolution Records. We're back. So we all know how Columbus quote-unquote discovered America because he was an idiot looking for better routes to colonize the East Indies. We all know the term Indian comes from this mischaracterization, and we even remember the ships he sailed on thanks to stupid-ass rhymes that are occupying space in my head that could be used for better things like, I don't know, how to tip over a statue of Christopher Columbus. Anyway, the problem with this narrative is, well, there are many. First off, besides the indigenous folks who came across the Bering Land Bridge millennia before Columbus decided to ignore the GPS, Europeans, as well as others, had long before made landfall in North America. The Vikings sailed over here under Leif Erikson. There's some belief that a group of Irish monks sailed west in an oxhide boat in the 7th century, although that may be more legend than fact. Of other continents, it's widely suspected that the Chinese under Zheng He beat Columbus by 75 years or so. It's also entirely possible and likely that African ships from the west coast of Africa may have reached the Americas by aim or accident. However, with the exception of the original emigrants that we now call the indigenous nations, none discovered this land. You can't discover something that people already knew about. And when people have migrated through an empty land, set up multiple settlements, formed numerous unique cultures, raised multiple generations of family, and built an entire fucking society, then the land is clearly fucking already discovered. Sorry, the shit pisses me off. I love the term Columbusing. Columbusing is finding something that's new to you and presenting it as if you discovered it. For reference, see everything we just talked about, as well as the birth of rock and roll and pretty much anything the New Age movement does. Anyway, let's ignore the fact that Columbus didn't discover jack shit, except that his crew was going to mutiny because they thought they were going into the map that was marked Here There Be Dragons. Let's talk about Columbus, the man. He was an idiot as well as a horrible navigator. Not much we covered already. He was also very self-aggrandizing, given that he made much of his discovery when he returned to Europe. He was a grifter, basically, and there's a reason why he had to beg multiple monarchs to financially support his cause. The part we don't talk too much about, though, is the fact he was also a brutal, slaving, racist rapist 
Wikipedia has a bunch of great footnotes from the excerpt I'm about to read, and I highly encourage you to check out the footnotes. Some historians have criticized Columbus for initiating colonization and for abusing natives. On St. Croix, Columbus's friend, Michel de Cuono, according to his own account, kept an indigenous woman he captured, whom Columbus gave to him, and then naturally brutally raped her. The punishment for an indigenous person aged 14 or older failing to fill a hawk's bell full of gold dust, about $400 worth of 2021 currency, and do that every three months, his penalty was cutting off the hands of those without tokens, often leaving them to bleed to death. Columbus had an economic interest in the enslavement of the Hispaniola natives, and for that reason was not eager to baptize them, which attracted criticism from some churchmen. Consuelo Varela, a Spanish historian who has seen the report, states that Columbus's government was characterized by a form of tyranny. Even those who loved him had to admit the atrocities that had taken place. Basically, Christopher Columbus came to Hispaniola with the intent of making money for the monarchs, the church, and himself, and he didn't care how he went about this. The first shipment of enslaved people to the quote-unquote New World was sent in 1501 by Catholic monarchs. His crew, and himself promptly enslaved, his crew and himself promptly enslaved the indigenous population, forcing them to mine the abundant gold, and hesitated to convert them because that would give them some nascent rights. Basically, Columbus was a bastard. Like, through and through. Totally, Columbus is a bastard. We shouldn't even be debating this in 2021 with the wealth of knowledge we have today. Columbus was like dregs of society. Where are we at where we're holding up rapists and murderers and the architect of the destruction of entire civilizations as paragons of virtue because they were able to sell the idea that I got lost. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. And then there's the collateral damage from his journeys. The diseases he brought along, such as smallpox, which decimated the native population. The policies of enslavement, genocide, and occupation would reverberate 550 years into the future. The religious nature of his outfit also established a tone of Christian hegemony that wouldn't be fully fulfilled for another few hundred years, but he set the tone and the pace. Oh, and Columbus raped kids as young as 9 and 10. So yeah, Columbus sucks balls and we shouldn't have a day to honor a child rapist who killed millions and enslaved a bunch of others. Pretty simple to me. What we should have is a day to celebrate the people who are already here. I'm a big proponent of Indigenous Peoples Day, which is celebrated by 11 states and multiple cities across the country. Instead of celebrating colonization and genocide, I choose to celebrate the people who were here first. Today is a good idea to first off acknowledge you're living and existing on stolen land. Take a minute to do some research to find out whose land you're on. For example, I live in Kansas, and eastern Kansas, where I live, belong to, at one point or another, the Kansas, Shawnee, Oto, Delaware, Potawatomi, Sac, Fox, and Wyandotte tribes. The last seven were forcibly relocated by the federal government from their ancestral homes back east. It's also a good day to consider the tradition of native cultures. Consider, don't practice. This is a big deal and I'll tell you why. These spiritual, societal, and individual practices are not a commodity despite what the New Age movement says. Things like spirit animals, sweat lodges, vision quests, and sage smudging all appropriate native culture. Why is this a big deal? 
From Cultural Appropriation in the Plains Indians by Marissa Wood. There are four clear arguments for the damage caused by cultural appropriation. The first argument is that cultural appropriation harms the appropriated community because it interferes with the community's ability to define itself and establish its own identity. Native American identity is already a very strained concept and it is difficult to see where best to begin rewriting all the convolutions of history. Native Americans have been forcibly assimilated to forget their culture, languages, and self. But as contemporary society today and Native American communities continue to rebuild after all this time, appropriation and stereotypes only further propel this culture into an invisible otherness. The reason it's bad is a lot of reasons. What strikes me as most odious is the fact that as recently as the 1970s, indigenous Americans were outlaws for practicing their religion, while their white counterparts used that iconography without due respect and honor. Appropriation is real, and to this very day, I commend organizations that are changing names, logos, and sundry to reflect that. So consider what I'm about to say, but don't practice. Consider the ideals that many native societies live by. Communal living, a type of undefined communism, if you will. Respect for the land, for the elders, and for other people. An honor based on generosity, bravery, and yes, violence. Because sometimes violence needs to be done for justice. Today is a great day to decolonize your thinking. I know in my writing, my fictional writing, I fall into the uh, noble savage trope, and that's as harmful as a team named for a slur, so I have to work harder. I can't release that work. I have to figure out a different way to do it. Realize these tribes, these countries, these sovereign nations exist to this day, and that their reduced numbers and diaspora are due to the genocide by colonizing countries. Realize that the natives living on many reservations deal with issues like suicide, alcoholism, and extreme poverty due to the actions, beliefs, and policies of the United States. Acknowledge that the rate of murdered and missing indig indigenous women is nauseating. From Ohio State University teaching materials, indigenous women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than any other demographic. Indigenous women are more than twice as likely to be the victim of violent crime than any other demographic. What is most alarming about these statistics is that they only report a small percentage of crimes against indigenous women. The Urban Indian Health Institute conducted various studies to gather information to compare numbers to those, like those cited above, given by our government, and found the rate of violence experienced by these women were much higher than reported. For example, the Institute found there to be over 5,700 cases of missing and murdered indigenous women, but only 116 of these women were placed on the United States Department of Justice missing persons list. That's kind of a big deal. I didn't write a script part for this, uh, but in case you didn't know, the federal government is supposed to manage all justice on uh, native lands. So it's well within their purview to investigate every single one of these missing indigenous women, and yet they're only looking at 116. It's disgusting. But today is a great day to support that movement. Educate yourself. Get involved. Donate. Advocate. 
because this is a genocide and it's still very much going on. And if we're not helping end it, we are complacent. Today is a great day to honor our Native friends. Here's some ways to do that. First off, like I said, support the missing and murdered Indigenous women movement. Speaking of movements, support the Land Back movement. I don't have any answers on how to make all of this right, but giving land back is definitely going to be part of it, bar none, no argument, full stop. I'm going to have a future episode with some Native comrades, and perhaps they'll educate me or offer some ideas that they think is the best way to go about it, but for now, I support the idea in a very broad sense. There will be no peace, there will be no justice, there will be no equality in this country until we give a significant portion of land rights, and control back to the native population. And a more personal way you can support our native comrades is donating to the Crazy Horse Memorial at donate.crazyhorsememorial.org. I love the Black Hills, and I would be ecstatic to see a real hero, a real leader, and a real native of this land sculpted not 30 miles from the bastards we talked about earlier. Every time I go through the hills, I stop and take a moment to reflect on... Crazy Horses, Wisdom, and Bravery. At the moment, the memorial is far from finished, and your donations can help get that goal achieved. Today is also a great day to topple a statue of Christopher Columbus, but that's pretty much every day, honestly. If you find a statue of Christopher Columbus, topple it, put paint on it, chip it, destroy it, burn it, whatever you want to do, because that raping motherfucker does not deserve any statues so yeah i acknowledge my privilege in the stolen land and i further acknowledge that every trip out west is through sovereign nations that while the government of the united states might not recognize i have morals so i do i am a guest in their land i have no more right to it than columbus does it is my duty to help protect it for them until the day comes when we honor our obligations and give them their land back. Leave no trace. Advocate fiercely. And if the time comes, fight alongside them. I'm going to close out with a heartwarming tale that usually only gets told on St. Patrick's Day. From Time.com on May 8, 2020. A Native American community severely hit by the COVID-19 outbreak has received an outpouring of donations from Irish people. As COVID-19 swept through the Navajo Nation with at least 2,373 cases and 73 deaths as of May 3rd, 2020, Irish donors have contributed to the nation's GoFundMe campaign, a, re a return of a historic favor from 1847. As a result, as that act of generosity has grabbed headlines across the globe, it has also drawn attention to a perhaps surprising moment from the past. During the Irish potato famine, the Choctaw Nation sent $170, which is worth about $5,000 today, of relief aid to the Irish people, despite facing severe hardship themselves. When the Navajo Nation GoFundMe campaign came to the attention of the Irish through social media, they decided to reciprocate this historic act of goodwill. On the other side of the Atlantic back then, nearly two decades before the Great Potato Famine, the Choctaw people had been forced off their ancestral lands in Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida by President Andrew Jackson and forced to make a 500-mile journey to Oklahoma known as the Trail of Tears. More than half of the 21,000 Choctaw people 
who were forced off their land died on the trail due to malnutrition, forced march, exposure. It is said that the Choctaw Nation heard about the famine from an Irish soldier overseeing the forced displacement of Native Americans, and some excerpts believe and some experts believe that the Irish experience resonated with the Choctaw people. Like the Irish, Native Americans suffered under British colonial rule that resulted in hunger, genocide, and disease outbreak. The British tried to put down the Irish on reservations, as they did with Native Americans, and forced both groups to abandon their cultures and languages. So the Choctaw Nation decided to help, sending over funds that were used to purchase food, blankets, and feed for livestock. Warms my heart, man. Even in 1850, even in the 1850s, we knew of the great power of community. We knew that in the end, we are all in this together. Let's bring that energy back because our only hope is each other. So plugs, the social media is Red Leg Revolution on Facebook and YouTube, Red Leg Pod on Twitter. Follow us, like our shit, subscribe, dedicate your firstborn. I don't know what these sites all require nowadays. Pro tip though, if you dedicate your firstborn, just don't have kids. Modern problems require modern solutions. Anyway, follow us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your 21st century talk radio. And do us a solid and maybe give us a like or a share. This is Red Leg Revolution, and here's an episode without any real outro music. I don't have anything composed for this, and I don't have license for anything else. So, anyway, here's the theme. <laughs> Happy Indigenous People's Day, yo. And fuck Christopher Columbus.